Hello, and welcome to Self-Sabotaging Sagas, hosted by me, your elevation guide, Jenea Barnes. Well, hello, everybody. Hello. I am here today with an amazing woman and also one of my dear friends. We've known each other for many, many years. We met in yoga class a bajillion years ago. And, you know, if you want to think back to how far back that was, it was a long time ago. It could have been last week, for all you know, for a long time in my perception of time. Anyway, (laughs) so we're here today to talk about finishing projects. And uh, Christy, would you like to introduce yourself to the people and give a little highlight reel of what it is you do? What you've done I in the past would love to. I am yeah. just sharing this to the Sexy Grammar page. My name is Christy Lynn Belluni. I am a writing teacher and a, sorry, there I am. Uh, I'm a writing teacher and a writer, and I have a small business called Sexy Grammar. A lot of people call me the Sexy Grammarian. And I, in, in that business, as a writing teacher, I arouse writers and help them finish their projects, uh, complete whatever they're working on, and especially help them find their own process, which is really my love, is figuring out process. Yeah, and I think one thing that we're going to talk a lot about writing, but the thing that I really love about Christy's thought process and her methods that she uses to arouse her writers is it really this stuff works for just about any kind of project you want, especially creative projects. But I even think about like a business project or something big that you want to do. The elements are very similar and really translate. And so I'm kind of really excited as you all listen to dip into how, even if you are not a writer or a creative painter or something like that, you can kind of really look at how this stuff is going to translate to the projects that you might be working on at home or in the office or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's totally true, Jenea, that that, that uh, sort of figuring out process around creativity and writing is, can can be a great metaphor for figuring out process in just about any project. And also, just about any project ends up needing writing eventually. Uh, absolutely. You know, even if you are, a photo- uh, you know, absolutely 100% a visual artist uh, or absolutely 100% um, a, a a business owner, and your business has nothing to do with writing at all. It's just about donuts, or what it is, or it's whatever it, it's whatever it's about. There's still going to come a moment where you have to write a business proposal, or some marketing copy, or something to go with that cool picture you're going to put on Instagram, or um, or a an artist statement, or an application to get into a fellowship or a program that you want to be in with your project. So eventually every project kind of does come down to writing uh, or, or many, many projects do come down to writing. So I get yeah. to work with people who are doing all kinds of interesting stuff. Yeah, it's interesting in my own business. I mean, I'm writing social media copy. I am writing website copy. I am writing blog posts. And I'm writing a book, which of course you know about, but not everybody else knows about, but all this process and over the course, like I, when I wanted to write a book, I reached out to you right away. I was like, Christy, (laughs) I'm going to need some support. We're going to have to, I want to figure out how to way, figure out a way to work with you because I know you and I know the way that you work was really going to translate well for me and helping me finish my project and moving through my project. And it was such a learning curve for me. And so many things that you brought to the table for me to figure out about learning my process and what works for me was so instrumental in the fact that 
I've written a book proposal. I've put it out into the world. I'm shopping for agents and all of that stuff. And it feels so good, but I didn't even know where to start. Like, I was like, I want to do this thing. And you remember in the beginning, I had a wall of post-its in my bedroom of all different colors. And this was my beginning stages of what you call the imagination stage, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But remind me, when you had that wall of post-its, had you done any writing already? Had you done any, uh, had, had you written some some initial chapters or written down some memories or anything like that? No. Not really. I mean, I had done some writing because I was recovering some trauma memories through meditation and I wanted to get that out. So I, there was a period of time where I was jumping, I was coming out of meditation and I would just write it all down. So I mm -hmm. would remember it all mm -hmm. because my brain was actually doing this thing where it was giving me a tiny piece at a time in the way that I could process the traumatic memory. And because it was coming in pieces, I also thought that that would be very a beautiful way to keep track of it so that I could really articulate it when it came down to breaking down exactly how that came about. But I don't think I had really done much writing at all. I was just trying to organize and figure out how I was going to put my life into a book and what it was going to mean. And that was a big part of what you spoke to me in the beginning was what do we do? What is kind of the theme? What is sort of the purpose? Things like that you had me focus on in the beginning, and it really helped. And I think that helps with so many projects. We think about, oh, we want to do this thing, but often we're not thinking about the why we want to do it, the pieces that where it's coming from within us, and what is the outcome we want in the end. And you really helped me to think about those things and structure and stuff that I didn't know. I mean, I've written in a journal, <laughs> but that was really my big writing experience was journal writing and some other pieces. Yes. And that's exactly why I asked about that, because I, I do have a, a I, I do have five stages of the process that I think of. And those stages are not always necessarily linear although we have to roll them out in some order. So, right. uh, it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, um, that, that they happen in the, in the order that I roll them out. So the order that I typically roll them out is imagination, which includes research, then composition, which is the actual writing of the thing, then editorial, then feedbacks, the feedback stage, and then the submission stage where we're putting our work out into the world. And, so it can it can go perfectly in that order, but it rarely does. And when you were talking about um, sticky notes on the wall, it's funny. It's funny to think about what the different stages of writing look like. What do we look like when we're doing them, right? So sticky notes on a wall could I could walk in and say, "Oh, Janae's in the imagination stage. Look at those sticky notes." But also, I could walk in and say, "Janae's at the." editorial stage because she is taking the uh, ideas of um, plot structure or ideas about theme and organizing concepts on the wall. And so, right. you know, many of the stages of the process might look similar or um, uh, many people in the imagination stage don't look like what we think of as writing at all. Right. Yeah. You could be in the imagination stage and look like you are sitting in a hot tub or looking or look like you are drinking wine and be hard at work um, creating something really amazing uh, in your heart and in your mind. So the stages can happen in all different orders and the stages are uh, they can be um, it can be sometimes hard to see where someone is. And that's really the way I begin my work with a writer is to meet them where they're at. Uh, look at, look at the, right. the process, 
look at where they are, what they're doing right now. And then my, you know, one of my big principles is I don't, I don't want art to be suffering. So I am looking for where does it hurt? Yeah. What, do you, what, what, what is the writer doing now and where does it hurt? Yeah. And that's really huge, I think, because as we dip into the conversation of self-sabotage, as we dip further into that, really those pain points are the reasons we don't finish our project, whatever project it is that we're working on. So for me, it's interesting. We go back and now that after hearing you describe a little bit about post-it notes and even though I hadn't done any writing yet, I feel like that now after your description, that first stage for me was really a very editorial stage yeah, because I was really, I was figuring out the structure. I was figuring out that I wanted to do the book and the hero's journey kind of structure. So I was oscillating you know, in the, yeah. in the dreaming of like, how do I want to do this? I was reading books. So like you said, you know, you might be sitting in a hot tub or reading a book, reading other people's memoirs and yeah. doing all of that stuff. And so one of the things that I really train writers to do is notice what am I doing right now? And, uh, and, to, and to try to practice isolating what they're doing. So when you are composing to not edit and when you are researching to not, to not try to write while you're researching. Um, and, and that doesn't have to mean you, you know, you could still do all of the stages in one day, but to, to be able to, to allow yourself to focus on one thing at a time. And, you know, uh, even as I just asked you whether you had done any writing before you got to those post-it notes, you were like, Oh, I had, you know, uh, come out of some meditations and written some things, but you were really trying to like not give yourself credit for that writing, but that was writing. You were writing yeah. you were composing work. And in some ways, maybe you were doing that early composition work coming out of, um, out of meditation or out of sleep states and, and writing down memories. And then uh, the editorial stage was necessary because you started to realize you had this life story to tell, but it needed a shape. It needed a structure. It right. needed some kind of, and when we go to those kind of rules of writing and look for help for the work we have been putting down on paper, whether that is uh, learning uh, better grammar, better sentence structure or better story structure, we're really an editorial. We're really using our critical minds and what we know about literature, what we know about how writing works to create a structure, either a, a, a large structure for the whole project or structures for, um, you know, orders of words within sentences. And that's really what editorial is about. Yeah. It's, Interesting too. I really love the concept that you talked about, about it not being linear, because we uh -huh. always think, I think most of us feel this way that whenever we're working on anything, whatever it is that we need to move from point A to point B, but let's, I mean, life does not work that way and creating on any level, business project, creative project, oh, yeah. writing, does not work that way. So we'll start on something and then there'll be like an obstacle that we'll have to figure out a way around it. And it'll go over here and it'll make us go over here. And I think, you know, we do composition and then editing and then feedback and composition and back and forth and back and forth. And then we put it away because maybe we can't think about it anymore. And then we like let, allow some space. So that kind of becomes the space. So the room for the new imagination to come in and mm. maybe six months later, even you're like, oh, this is the piece that I needed to make it work. Yes. So I love that your process is very much like how life is and there is no exact perfect way to do it that we each get to find our own map to the finish line 
Absolutely. And, and that map is different for every writer and it's often different with every project. But there's some hope. It's possible for writers to start to learn what their own cycle looks like and start to learn, you know, I you know, where where their strengths are and 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 what they and what the signs are that it's time to stop imagining and start writing or right. to come out of feedback and say, you know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to go back to editorial this time. I I hear that feedback and I am going to move forward. Uh, and so like really learning the transitions between stages learning when it's time to stop writing and do some assessment of what you've written, move into editorial, uh, learning when it's time to stop editing and let yourself do some new, fresh, creative writing. Uh, that's really what it's about and learning how that feels for you so you can recognize yourself and recognize what I'm doing right now isn't working. I should move over to this or gosh, I've taken this as far as I can go. I guess it's time for some feedback. Um, and really figuring out where your um, where your uh, transition moments are, and when it's time for you to move move along, is is kind of the art of de of designing our own processes. Right. Well, another thing that I really love. So I work with people like you're you're like I have this thing that's getting in my way. I can't finish. Like they, if they came to me, I was like, I can't finish my project. And so I'm going to look at the ways that their subconscious mind is self-sabotaging them. I'm going to look for self-worth issues. I'm going to look for perfectionism issues, all of these things. And this stuff, it translates into every part of your life. And so one thing that's so cool about figure the way you work. So I go into the subconscious mind and I kind of do some reconfiguring and make it so it's easier for you. It's but what you do, which I think is incredibly powerful because it sets people up with tools for the future, is you're showing them how to figure out their process, how to work with the way their brain works and the way their creative process works. And these tools, like knowing when something's not working or you're kind of stuck, it's going to also translate to other things in life, not just your projects. And when you start to recognize those feelings, you can be like in some completely other sort of circumstance and you can be like, oh, I'm feeling stuck. I'm not feeling any flow. What is it that I do when I'm writing, when I'm in this place? Oh, I transition to something else and using that as a tool because the other cool part about that is, is our unconscious mind learns through story and metaphor. So yes. as you teach people how to work through something because you're working through a project, it's also teaching the subconscious mind how to work through other things. So it's giving a whole nother resource, set of resources for people to use in everyday life which I think is really cool. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. Well, I do think that letting myself become a writer and giving myself space to explore and figure out my own process made me a happier person in general. And I do observe that in my writers that I work with, that, that, that yeah, uh, improving process and finding a, a, a unique process that works for you in your creative projects is definitely a, uh, a route to happiness in other areas of your life, for sure, for sure. Yeah, totally. um, I, I, and I love that about creativity and writing. I really do think it's, uh, I, I really do think that um, self-expression is, uh, is where it's at right is is what is what we need um to uh to be um happy and fulfilled and and learning to do that in a way that's satisfying to us and that reaches other people and uh and and engages them um is is uh, amazing for us in other ways besides just getting our writing done yeah 
Absolutely. So you said you have some self-sabotage stories. Yes, of course. Well, uh, first of all, I, I definitely have some thoughts about the typical ways that many writers self-sabotage in each of those five stages. I've really been thinking about those five stages of work and um, and writing and, and, and what happens in those stages, sort of what are the pitfalls of them. And so I, I, I wanna throw those out because I think that it's easy to think uh, which, whichever stage you sort of identify with to think, oh, well, that's easy. Um, imagination, that's easy. Everybody can imagine or just writing, that's easy or whatever it is. Like they're, 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 we all have our relationships with all of these different stages. And when I find a writer who uh, is struggling, it's usually because they're avoiding one of the stages or they're clinging to one of the stages <laughs> or they don't know that some of the stages exist or they, right. they think that writing means just one of the stages, right? Yeah. So a lot of times it's about sort of opening doors for them and being like, oh, you can step in this door as well. You can do this. Uh, as well as helping them to let go of the things that they love to do. So for instance, um, the, the typical way that, that someone self-sabotages in the imagination stage is by refusing to leave. Many writers, many of my clients, many people come to me having dreamed about their first novel for 10 or more years. Wow. Having thought about it, uh, Often, um, genre fiction writers are in this place. They are, they're usually avid readers, which is part of the imagination stage, taking in right. all, all the stuff. Uh, so they'll be like a sci-fi reader who's been reading sci-fi since they could read. And they have imagined an amazing world inside their minds. They have done a huge amount of world building. What they've created in their minds is better than Star Trek. It's better than Tolkien. It's it's more thought out. It's bigger. And the long, the more years that go by of them just thinking about it, just developing it in their head, right. the more avoidance of all of the other stages of writing, uh, the harder it becomes to leave that stage. Right. And yet the stakes go up because they've been investing more and more time and it's not that imagination is not writing. It absolutely is. But it's only a part of it. Right. So, so often, yes, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was thinking about what are the underlying issues? Yeah. I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. You know, so I look at it. It's like, okay, that's clearly, these are the possibilities of what could be going on in the unconscious mind. There's a perfectionist that's so hot that you... You have to do it so perfect, especially if you've been imagining it for so long that you couldn't possibly get it right. And this, you know, sometimes it comes from like childhood stuff. Sometimes it just comes from making something so big in your mind. That's There's right. also fear of failure. Oh, what if I what if I finally do it and nobody likes it? And also fear of success. What if I finally do it? And I get published and it sells really well. And then I have to write a second book. I've spent 10 years already writing this book in my head. And then they're going to expect me to write a book in like five minutes afterwards or something. So those yeah. are the, the three things that pop up right away to me that could really get in the way of getting out of the imagination stage. I think you're especially right. I think the first and the third are what I see the most. The perfectionism, the perfectionism translates to someone who has been an avid reader their whole life has very good taste mm. in what is good. Right. And so, especially if they haven't been practicing writing in a while, the first thing they write will not be good. Okay. <laughs> will know it because they know what yeah. good looks like. They have yeah. they have strong opinions. They have become very opinionated readers over the years or viewers or critics. 
But, uh, you know, those years of, of dreaming about your project are also years of becoming a more critical reader and viewer and a, and a more uh, damaging perfectionist to ourselves. Absolutely. And then right. the other one you brought up, this, uh, this idea of, um, oh, God, what was the third one that you said? I forgot it. Fear, oh. fear of failure and fear of success. Yes. I wanted to talk about the fear of success one because so often writers who are not putting words down on a project that is completely fleshed out in their minds and has been for a long time are not doing it because they are concerned about being exposed. And, and if I push, it's usually one person they're worried about. Mm. And they're spinning about like, oh, if I ever do write this, I, I, I absolutely have to use a pseudonym or I absolutely right. have to wait until my mother's dead. Or right. That's, I, I hear that one. Oh yeah, all the time. Um, it's it's really common, and 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 all of this is actually like wrapped up in this fantasy that when they finish their first book, everyone will read it. Right. And you know, it, it's a this is a tough one to guide someone through because you don't want to. You don't necessarily want to beat up a new writer with the kind of tough news that that experienced and working writers can definitely tell you is sometimes you can't pay people to read your stuff. <laughs> like, do not worry about your mother reading your stuff. Your does your mother read your stuff now? Like whoever it is you're worried about, they probably won't read it. Right. And, and so this fear of success thing is this sort of like, well, I can't be exposed in this way, um, right. and it, it's usually wrapped up in some kind of uh, belief that that the exposure will be much, much bigger than what most people's first books or first writing projects get. Right. So, so that that kind of fear of success can be um, both overblown, <laughs> overblown, right? And yeah. and leads us to really have to think a lot about what what success really means, right? right? And that's what true. what success is going to feel like. But that's just imagination, and I want to talk about uh, uh, how we self sabotage in all of these stages and composition by far the most time that I spend with writers in the 20 years that I've been doing this is helping people to stop criticizing their work while they're actively writing. Yeah, and I think that's huge. In composition, that is how we self-sabotage. We, we stop writing and decide to jump into editorial mid-composition. And right. that stops the composition, that stops the work from moving forward. And the, a, a ton of time that I spend is convincing people or pointing out to people the, the, the and I'd love to hear sort of what your coaching approach uh, says about these kinds of different states of mind. But if I think about what state of mind I have to be in to create new work out of nowhere, new words out of nowhere. I have to be very, uh, I have to be willing to take risks. I have to be willing to be creative. I have to be willing to write things that are wrong, uh, write W-R-I-T-E things yeah. that are wrong. Um, right. I, have to, I have to be willing to make mistakes and I have to lay track. I have to get as much, which is a, a, a Julia Cameron term. I have to just get the words down. I have to get the story out. Uh, and right. all of that comes to a screeching halt when I stop and read the sentence that I just wrote. Yeah. Because then I am no longer letting myself be a risk taker. I'm no longer letting myself be creative. I'm no longer letting myself just lay track and, and move forward. Instead, I'm stopping and I'm taking that great taste that I developed in 10 years of dreaming about my sci-fi <laughs> book and I'm applying it with vigor to the 
to the work as an editor. And so the, so the writing stops. And, and so that's, that's really the, the most common self-sabotage in the composition stage is just trying to step out of the composition stage when you're in the middle of it. And I think, I think what I pick up on that, there's a couple of things. So first I like to use a metaphor that the composition stage is kind of like being at the playground and playing. So you're just free to do whatever. Now, if somebody comes over, which might be your inner editor, comes over and says, you're doing it wrong. You're climbing on those monkey bars the wrong way. What does that do to your, your child? I mean, we all remember, well, I would imagine most of us remember that freedom of playing when you're really little and it's just like, flow and you're doing and the moment somebody comes in and says you're doing it wrong which is what you know an editing process well you just wrote something and you're like oh now i have to touch break it down how i'm doing it wrong and i think that really plays into in the subconscious stuff is a lot of us grew up with this belief that we're doing it wrong totally And so there is this, it comes again with sometimes with that need to be perfect, but this belief that I do everything wrong, I'm always doing it wrong. And so having you, you just, you just dribble it out barely. It's drooling. It's made it to your chin, hasn't even fallen off your chin and you're cleaning it up before it can become this pile, this is a weird metaphor, this pile of spit on the table that could grow into this magical thing, but you're like wiping it up before it even has the chance to grow into whatever shape it might morph into. First of all, shout out to spit because (laughs) it it is all the rage right now. Come on. Like, what do we want? We want spit. Everybody wants spit. That's true. Well, um, so we've I, been wearing I, masks, keeping right, our spit here. Like, Please give me some spit. Um, so I think that's I think that metaphor is awesome and fun and creative. And also, yes, we want to in the composition stage uh, be able to like be able to put things down that are wrong and leave them there and keep going. And not yeah. erase them, not delete them, but let and see what comes on the what's on the other side of that wrong thing. And if right. we don't, if we delete the wrong thing, we don't get to see what happens on the other side of it. And uh, you know, I, I always think about. I don't know. Did you ever watch the the show Mad Men? I've watched a couple episodes, but I don't really ha- watch too much TV. I get sucked into a few things, but I tried, I was, it was too deep in before. And I'm like, Oh, that's going to be too much of a commitment. I'll go down the rabbit hole and I'm not doing that. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> One of the things on that show that I loved was Donald Draper who, who plays this uh, um, Madison Avenue uh, advertising, um, uh, he, you know, head of advertising or head of creative. He's always sending his minions off uh, to give him, uh, give me 50, give me 50 bad ideas uh, on whatever it is they're working on. You know, we're, we have to write a jingle for this soap or we have to write a jingle or, you know, an ad campaign for, for these shoes or whatever. He was always sending his minions off to, to bring him 50 bad ideas. And they're always rolling their eyes and being mad about that. But the, there's like a creative truth in there is that yeah. within the 50 bad ideas is one or two or, or some things that are good. And yeah. you and we all want to just be able to just spit out the good thing, but that's not how art works. You need the fifty right. bad ideas to find the good one. So that's what uh, that's you know that's the principle I bring to composition. And I am constantly working with writers on ideas about how to overcome that problem in composition. And you know we try all kinds of crazy things like. Uh, taping a piece of paper over your screen while you type. Right. Or just practicing writing every day so that you are used to writing with abandon. So you're used to just writing whatever comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, Those are some of the approaches I take to that. I think Um, this is a really quick point that I really want to put in there. And I think in business, people, there is no permission 
you're definitely not in a lot of business scenarios, you're not allowed to do it wrong. So I think the creative possibility for what can be the best solution to a problem gets stifled because mm -hmm. if somebody throws out an idea that's not perfect, you've got some CEO or somebody being like, that's terrible, blah, blah, blah. And then that shuts people down. So with anything, I think a big important piece if you're working on a creative project is allowing the right kinds of people in your life. And because you want, you don't want, if you do have that fear of doing it wrong, you don't want people in your life reinforcing that crap because it's crap. You want to be able to, in anything in life, be able to take risk, be able to shift and come up with creative solutions. If we're always running the same neural pathways, doing the same thing over and over, everything's going to get bored and we're going to run out of track, so to speak, and run out of ideas. And if we're stuck with only what has worked in the past or what other people have done, you don't get to create the magic that is within you. Nice. Yes, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so editorial, I mean, you kind of make me want to skip non-linearly ahead to feedback <laughs> because talking about people and having people. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll, but, but remind me to come back to editorial. So, you know, feedback, I think that uh, feedback is where we take our process out into the light, right? And I think of feedback as like the sunshine step and the, uh, the, the, the place where we, where we, we ask uh, for, um, for help from colleagues, uh, from other writers usually. And I think that uh, the way we get into trouble in feedback is by not embracing the exchange. Uh, feedback, and, and I think that you and I, this can be really juicy for, for us because we are feedback partners. Uh, right. And, I, and I, I, I know that you're experiencing this in, in, the, uh, in your growth as a feedback uh, provider to me, and I certainly experience it every time I give feedback to you and, and every writer, is that I become a better writer by looking at other people's unfinished work lovingly and with desire to help it get better. Yeah, that was a big, that was a huge thing for me. And I noticed, and you know, my, I think my feedback is leveled up quite a bit. And in the process, my, I, it's my own writing is leveled up. I started noticing like little things, like I catch certain things that now, even as you're more the professional, but there are certain things that you'll miss in your own writing. And this is really normal, you guys, like in your, when you're working on your own projects, you don't see stuff that you see in other people. So it really does help that shine that mirror to you and your work. And again, I, any project, you know, getting feedback from valuable feedback partners. You don't want people that are going to be like, well, this sucked or, oh, it was really great. Like that isn't supportive. Like you could be like, this line is really great. This aspect I really love and this part's really cool, but I got confused here. And now I, now I have these questions in my mind. So all these different things that really enriches the writing, but I think feedback is so scary for people. So scary. And, and again, part of how we undo some of that fear is by not making it about us. Right. So a writer who's going to their first feedback group or who's sitting down to exchange feedback for the first time there's this tendency to be sort of very like my manuscript, what will they think? And I'm here, I'm here to like, and, and the, the stakes seem to be like, will they like it or will they, or won't they? Right. And actually if we can step into feedback exchange, not forgetting the word exchange and, uh, and, and knowing that we're, and, and recognizing that we're there as much to, learn about writing by interrogating other unfinished work. Yeah. 
or unpolished work, um, then uh, then we will get what we need, right? By giving right. by giving the best feedback possible, by exchanging, by finding partners who we can truly meet eye to eye on on our creative work, uh, we become better writers. Our writing gets better not because of not only because of the feedback we receive, but because of the feedback we give. Absolutely. So I think that that's super important. I think one really important thing, you know, thinking about the subconscious stuff with feedback and also submission is we put our heart and souls into these projects, right? And so I think it's really important to remember that you are not the project. Mm -hmm. So if you get some negative feedback, it has nothing to do with you. It's not about you. And always taking it as this is an opportunity to get better. But we sometimes we get so attached to our projects and we're so blinded because of how emotionally attached. I mean, how many people have you, how many lovers have you had that later when you looked back, you're like, whoa, they were a jerk. They were a total jerk, but you couldn't see it because you were so attached to it. And so I think that's a big thing is we get attached to our creative work and we feel mm -hmm. like it is us. And that if somebody doesn't like it, that, that it's a rejection about us, but it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with something you've done. I'm not going to get mad at somebody about the way they tied their shoe and take it personally or vice versa, that thing. Exactly. <laughs> somebody was like, yeah. And, and again, that's why the giving of feedback, the sharing of feedback, the exchange, uh, it builds that empathy and it helps us to understand because if I bring feedback to you and I know this feedback isn't a, a judgment of how good a person Jenea is, it's, right. it's, it's, uh, it, it's an interrogation of the order of words in this sentence that she wrote, right? Uh, like right. I, I can see that with, uh, with a wonderful, um, uh, uh, distance be because it's not my work. And, be right. and by doing that, I learn how to take the best of feedback myself as well. And so that's really, you know, feedback is really about relationships and, uh, and exchange. And, uh, and if you are, if you are in it just for your own work, then your work's actually not going to grow. Right. And, and that's a big thing. So developing that feedback and being able to give and receive, it's both being able to give and receive what a beautiful metaphor and a training ground for your communication with people in your life to get better. Totally. Totally. It is a wonderful training ground for relationships. It is yes. because everyone is is automatically vulnerable, right? right? Everyone at the table is automatically vulnerable and we don't start relationships that way very often. Absolutely. All um, right, editorial, editorial. Yes, no, Let's do no, editorial. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> often after feedback, even if we've done some editorial, hopefully we did some editorial before we went to feedback, it's it's almost guaranteed that after feedback you'll want to go backwards in in the in this non-linear process to um to editorial again and and we you know we self-sabotage in editorial by thinking that editorial is not creative and i i see this in the in that tension within the composition stage as well Often what, what the, the writers that I meet who are struggling to edit their own work, they have big piles of things they've written. They've written hundreds of pages and they, they just don't, they, it feels like a slog to them. It feels such a, it feels like such a, uh, um, such a chore. And when I press on that, as you can tell, when people tell me where it hurts, I usually press on it. Um, right. <laughs> uh, and when I press on that, what I usually find out is that the reason it feels like such a chore is that while they were composing, they were editing. And so oh. this is this is not new content that is fresh and exciting that they get to 
creatively rearrange and polish and sculpt and make make beautiful in the editorial stage. This is writing that they have painstakingly dropped out half a sentence at a time and then reread and then reread and reconsidered and stared at for hours. So no wonder it doesn't feel creative and fabulous and fun and and wonderful and uh, and like a magical alchemy uh, in the editorial stage. But that's what the editorial stage can be if allowed to. If if the if you can keep the editor out of the composition room, then the editor can have editing can be a dance. Editing can be a a, a, a this feeling of of like uh, like an unboxing video on YouTube where you're like, let me see what's in this box. What, ooh, what did I write yesterday? What did I write last week? And finding it and noticing, oh, what I wrote yesterday really goes beautifully in front of what I wrote last week, especially if right. I cut this paragraph out. All of a sudden it starts, you start to really experience editorial as creative. And my background is as an editor before I before I was uh, coaching before I became the, the sexy grammarian and I I loved to sink my teeth into a new manuscript and really imagine as I get into it but you know what that manuscript could be and and what what are the um, most effective things I can do to it to make it you know shine the way it has potential to shine and editorial has that potential. It can be just such a satisfying, such a creative step in the process if it is allowed to uh, approach the project with fresh eyes. If the editor in you is allowed to approach the project with fresh eyes. But if the editor in you has been criticizing the work the whole time you've been composing it, she's tired of it all already by the time she gets to it. She's not interested right. anymore. Yeah, so that happens. I mean, I love editing. Yes, honestly. that's that's where my work starts to develop the magic. Because for me, the composing stage is just like writing the facts. It's very akin to my old writing style, and editing for me is when I add all the juice and all the adjectives and all the beauty and the flow and all of that. But again, I think about, you know, doing other projects. And if you're coming to the table with these half edited ideas to the table, like right. you're not putting the best out there for the filtration process of what's next. That's so right. it's, it doesn't matter what. And so, again, we go back to this perfectionist thing that people have. It's like, why do I feel like I need to, why do I have to judge? That's the other thing, judgy. Are you a judgy person? If you're a judgy person with lower self-worth, you're judging your, your worth. And again, that's again, that tie of becoming the work, like, oh my gosh, that if, if this, if this sentence that I wrote with wild abandon got out into the world, what will it mean about me? And that bubbles down, filters down to self-worth stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's submission. do submission. Submission. Yeah. You know, we sabotage ourselves in submission. Well, first of all, to explain what submission is, it, submission is because it's, it's important to, to, separate it from from uh, uh, feedback, right? I'm done, I'm ready to show it to someone, right? So there's, right. I'm done, I'm ready to show it to someone to see what they think and whether I would like to do more work on it versus I'm done, I'm ready to show it to someone, meaning I'm, I don't wanna work on this anymore. It's truly complete and I would like to sell it, publish it, produce it, um, put it on social media, put it out into the world without uh, without asking to improve on it, but simply to call it complete. Um, right. That's submission and it takes many different forms. And uh, the, the, the sort of shadow side of submission that I really believe we have to embrace is rejection, of course. 
And we sabotage ourselves by fearing rejection when actually, similarly to the 50 bad ideas in composition, it, it takes some number of doors slamming in your face to get to that magic yes. And if we can use those rules that, that are applied to rejection across the board in many different areas of life um, in writing and recognize that uh, every rejection is a little closer to the yes, um, that only real writers get rejected um, by, by literary agents and publishers, right? You have to be a writer out there putting your stuff out there to get a rejection. So a rejection yes. is, is a badge of courage. Uh, yeah. And, and something to embrace, but it is hard. Rejection is rejection. Yeah. It's so it's terrible. Yeah, I just got, and you know this, I just got a rejection letter from an agent that I put my book proposal out to, but I was so excited because they gave me feedback on top of the rejection and they said, they gave me some compliments. They said they liked my writing style. And they said that this thing needs some work before we could actually take it to like major publishing houses. Right. And then they offered me to be able to submit it again. And not every place is gonna give you that kind of feedback, but some mm. places do. And it's just a powerful thing and yes, it is. It's a badge of courage because you, you think about rejection or people call it failure, whatever you want to call it, but really it's just feedback. So it could be something so simple is that it's not in alignment for that particular publisher or um, magazine or whatever it would be. Not every person that you meet is in alignment for them to become your lover, your partner, your friend. So it's about finding the right fit. And you really can look at it as, oh, it wasn't the right fit. And that's great. Now I know that that this project is not the fit for them. And exactly. you move on and you get to try something else. And, you know, you even think about all of our scientists, if they gave up, we wouldn't have, you know, computers, we wouldn't have medicine if it was like oh i have this idea oh it didn't work out well that's it yep i'm gonna melt <laughs> exactly 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 and i love your story because in that in that way that agent really turned your submission moment of rejection into an opportunity to step back into the feedback stage and yes. and in editorial if you want to which is amazing um, so yeah, I, I think about all of those things and, uh, and, and I absolutely have, um, have experienced my own versions of all of these things. And I know you wanted me to, to talk about my, my own, um, sabotage experiences. And I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about the last year, the last year and a half and COVID and how I was really excited about the play I was working on in the first quarter of 2020 before COVID hit. That was right. where my energy was. I was so excited to write this play. I was working with a, an amazing writing group on it. I was really moving forward on it. And then when COVID happened, it was like theater is dead. The play, the, the scene night we're going, I was going to not happening anymore you know, and, and at the beginning of COVID, like what we didn't know, how long was this going to take? Right. Will we ever pack ourselves? Even now, many of us are like, I'm not sure I'm ready for the movies or the theater, right. Or an airplane. Right. Um, and so I, I was, you know, I was very discouraged. I was very discouraged and I had really just committed to, uh, to, to playwriting and, I think that that was sort of where I um, had my sort of moment of crisis and sabotage. You know, I um, I got really negative about it. Like nobody's going to care about what I'm working on or what I'm working on is, is never going to have a stage literally. Uh, and I think what shifted 
was that what was still going on was that all of my writers that I was working on still really needed me. And this is where I think process really, and knowing about the five stages and knowing um, and being flexible and being able to work through your process really um, serves us because uh, I wasn't writing the play anymore, but I was still helping writers. And all of a sudden I was really inspired again to write about how I helped writers. And so I ended up spending the year uh, of sheltering in place during COVID writing my sexy grammar book, writing about how, how I, how I support writers and that writing came in fast and hot. And, and I, you know, I, I was like, yeah, I was ready to do a different kind of writing. And by just sort of accepting, you know, I'm in a different stage of process right now. It's not time to compose a, my play right now or edit my play right now. It's time to jump into something else. Um, you know, here I am as sheltering in places starting to open up. I am shopping that book around and um, opportunities to work on my play are opening up again as well. So that sort of like willingness to, to if, if something's not working in your process, to step into another stage or even into another project, I think that that flexibility comes from uh, seeing all the different stages of writing and the existence of all of them. And seeing all of them as opportunities and, and doors that you can walk through at any moment when something's not working. I think that's the key is opportunity and doors and being able to be flexible and pivot. Yes. So we're coming up to that top of the hour. So Christy, tell us a little bit about what you offer people. How do people get in touch with you? All of the good things, because I know they're going to want to follow you. You share a lot. You do interviews with writers and that's super valuable content. And you share a lot of what your writers are doing, which is really cool. Yes, absolutely. So um, yeah, as you can tell, I'm completely obsessed with writing process. So my on my website, sexygrammar.com, uh, I have a blog and I have been interviewing writers for more than a decade. And my writer interviews are completely about process. How does the writer, how does this writer do what they do? And it's been fascinating interviewing writers because uh, everyone does it differently. Nobody does it the same way. And, and very few people necessarily think of the stages the way I do. Um, it, uh, you know, th that's my, my own approach uh, to, to breaking it down. Everyone's got their own approach. And so those interviews are really fun to read. And that's, that's at sexygrammar.com. And yes, I have, I've been at this for 20 years. So many writers that I work with are out there publishing their stuff and on second and third and eighth and ninth books. And, uh, and I, so much of my social media, my Instagram and Twitter and Facebook are really about just celebrating all of those successes. So if you want to have some inspiration about other writers, how they do it, or just see other writers who have, who have reached out for help um, succeeding, uh, uh, follow me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, and they're all uh, 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 sexy grammar. Look, look for sexy grammar on any of those platforms, and you'll find me. And also on my website, if you are interested in working with me, you can sign up for a free session. I work with writers one on one in one hour sessions by video, and uh, and. Uh, do exactly what, what we've been spending this hour doing, looking at where the writer is in their project and where it hurts and, uh, and how to um, succeed in the stage that they're in and move on to another stage. And uh, the first session is always free. So you can sign up for your first free session at sexygrammar.com. And I would love to meet your audience and, and, and work on their creative projects with them. Awesome. Awesome. All right. And you guys know me. I'm Janae Barnes. I'm an elevation guide and you can DM me on Facebook at Janae Barnes Elevate. That's G-E-N-E-A-B-A-R-N-E-S. And you can reach out to me at my website, which is Janae Barnes Elevate. 
And my Instagram is just plain old Jenea Barnes. So if you are interested in going from self-sabotage to self-mastery, really being able to have the tools to handle whatever life throws at you, uh, reach out. I also do free introductory stepping in to see if we're a right fit. And yeah, that's it. Thank you so much, Christy, for coming today. It's been a total pleasure. All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.